This morning I want to speak to you about God's power for marriage. We're going to read in Ephesians 1, if you want to go ahead and turn to that, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. We've got several verses to go through, and I want to encourage you to, to uh, keep your Bibles open and uh, interact with the Scripture. Uh, together we can look at these verses and learn what God has for us today. Well, Tuesday is Valentine's Day, the day in which we celebrate love and friendship. How many of you still remember the excitement of exchanging Valentines with your classmates when you're in elementary school? Remember that? I still do. That was so exciting. It's just, it, was a big, it was a big deal. And uh, now, as adults, we approach Valentine's Day a little bit differently, but it's important to us nonetheless because relationships are important. And uh, love, of course, we know is, is important. My wife and I went to a marriage conference this weekend that was hosted by our friends here at Bethel Assembly. And it was a very good conference, very good teaching, and I'm glad we went. But the truth is that we almost didn't go because we were both, maybe me a little bit more, non-committal about it, like, mm, should we go? Yeah, we probably should go. And yeah, it looks like, I mean, we're not really busy. I mean, I try to schedule something, but it fell through. So, well, I, I, guess, I guess we'll go. And uh, the reason we were non-committal wasn't so much that we didn't think it would be helpful, but because it's sometimes easier to just stay home on weekends, to just stay and, and relax. In fact, Friday around five o'clock, I was at the church and I I left the church to go pick up Karis from the daycare, and as I was going to her daycare, I drove by my favorite Mexican restaurant. I drove by there, and I looked, and I said, man, it would be nice to just come eat here with my wife tonight, and then just go home and just relax, just stay in. I mean, we're, we're kind of, you know, homebodies that way, and I, I was thinking that would be make for such a nice, relaxing evening. It sounded really appealing uh, it, to me. At that moment, it sounded more appealing than going out. And even going to a marriage conference. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that we always have to work. We have to put some work into our, our marriage. It's easy to say, oh, I don't, you know, just, I'll just coast. Remember, when you coast, you're going downhill. So you can't coast in any relationship, and you certainly can't coast in a marriage conference. So I've learned we've got to be proactive. We've got to make these proactive decisions and then carry them out. Don't always look for the easy way out, you know, get out of your rut. And so, you know, I knew it would be more beneficial to us if we went to this conference and we did. Nothing else just to give our marriage some attention by listening to people who have heard from God about relationships and about this all important uh, relationship. So we did go and it was great. We had a great time, enjoyed some great teaching uh, and um, I'm glad we, we did, and, and I think it's, it's going to continue to pay off dividends in our, in our marriage. You know, so I want to talk to you today about God's power for marriage. And it may sound a little strange to hear the word power in a sermon about marriage. I mean, where's the word love, right? Where's the word romance or even, even commitment? You don't like that. We don't like that word as much, but, you know, we understand Commitment, But the reality is that we all need God's power in our marriages. In fact, our marriages and our homes is where we, uh, where we need a demonstration of God's power the most. Because if our faith doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. If our, you know, the gospel doesn't work at home in our relationships at home and in our marriage, then it doesn't work anywhere else. So we, we need God's help. I was remembering reading... Uh, several years ago, 
an interview of Ruth Belgram, uh, Billy Graham's wife, and uh, they were asking her about their marriage. They had been married many years. They were married many years, you know, before she passed away. But they, they asked her, you know, what's the secret of your marriage? And, you know, those types of questions. And then they asked her, in all your years of being married to Billy Graham, did you ever consider divorce? Or have you ever considered divorce? And she says, no, no, never considered divorce. Murder, yes, but divorce, no. You know, she's just talking about the reality of, of, of marriage, the difficulties, the, the problems we run into, and that we need help. We need help. How many times have you had a situation come up in your marriage, some problem, and you think, and I just don't know what to do. I, I feel powerless to change my marriage, to help my marriage. I want a better marriage, but I just don't know how to do this. I don't have the power to make a change, to make a difference. Well, I've got good news for you, and that is that God's power is available to you today. It's a power that changes lives, and it's a power that changes marriages. In fact, Paul wrote that it's the same power, think about this, it's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. We read about this in Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 18. If you want to follow along in your Bibles with me, Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And these are three things that, that he's praying for the Ephesians to know. That you may know the hope to, he, to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for those who believe. And then he explains about this power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now how much power does it take to raise somebody from the dead? It takes a lot of power. And Jesus rose up from the dead in power. And Paul says that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, God wants to give you in your life, and certainly in your relationships, and definitely in your marriage. So we, we all need God's power in our marriages. It was designed by God to be that way. God wants to give it to you today. So you need God's power. I need God's power. And I want to talk about three areas in which we need God's power in our relationships. First of all, I need God's power to fathom my spouse's differences. I need God's power to fathom my spouse's differences. Now, the word fathom, you know, we don't use that word very much. Once in a while, you might use it. But that word means to understand the depth of something. To understand the depth of something. It was originally a nautical term that was used to describe the depths of the water. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a measure. Uh, and so I think about that Little Mermaid song, Fathoms Below. Give you a little bit of time to hear it in your head so it'll get stuck in your head the rest of the day. But I think about that song, you know, Fathoms Below. It just talks about the depth of the water. And we use it now to understand the depth of something. What's interesting is that today we often use that word in the negative. For example, we say, I just can't fathom that. When something happens that we're having a hard time wrapping our mind around, we say, I just can't fathom that. You know, because, because it's usually used to understand something that we don't understand or to explain something that we don't understand that's kind of deep. I mean, we understand things superficially, but there might be something that our mind just can't process. 
I just can't fathom what's going on. And so it describes things to us that we, we think we'll never understand. Now, have you ever had the feeling that you'll never understand your spouse? Like you, you don't really understand your husband or, or your wife? Uh, well, Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 2.11. Paul says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? I mean, we, we think we know each other, but ultimately, especially after we get married, we realize we don't really know each other as well as we thought we did. Before we got married, we thought we knew everything about our spouse. But it probably wasn't long, maybe the day after the wedding, that we looked at our spouse and said, who is this person? What did I get myself into? Psychologist and family therapist James Framo explained it this way. I heard this, this quote at the conference this weekend, and, and uh, I thought that's, that's exactly right. He, he said it this way. People do not marry people, not real ones anyway. They marry what they think the person is. They marry illusions and images. The exciting adventure of marriage is finding out who the partner really is. And this is absolutely true. We marry illusions and images. We marry who we think that person is. And then after a few days, we realize, okay, I think I need to get to know this person a little bit better. But I love that last line. The exciting adventure of marriage is finding out who the partner really is. So embrace this issue. Embrace this problem Embrace the situation and make, make that the adventure of the marriage. Find out who your partner really is because we really need to know each other. And it's God who gives us the power not to know our spouse superficially, but to fathom who he really is or who she really is and to fathom their differences. First Peter 3.7 says it this way, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with what? What does it say? With understanding. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. And by the way, she, he's talking about the, the physical differences. Of the, uh, the, the woman is um, weaker. She's made not as strong as a man. But in, she, he's not talking about you know, intellectually or socially, because the very next sentence he says, but she is your equal partner. So she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of, of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Oh, he really raises the stakes here to the husbands. You want to know why God is not answering your prayers? Because you're not understanding your wife and treating her correctly. We've got to understand that, uh, husband, your wife is, is different. Wife, your husband is different from you. We're all different. We think differently. We act differently. We're differently biolog biologically. As much as we're hearing the message today, you know, the, reality, the, the, the opposite of this, the reality is that we're different biologically. Every cell in a man's body is different from every cell in a woman's body, genetically, by X and Y chromosomes. We're different. We're different behaviorally. We're going to react differently to every situation because we think differently. So we have to understand that our partner is different. Our spouse is different. We understand them. Try to understand them deeply so we know how to treat each other. 
Proverbs 24, 3 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. So it takes wisdom, and it takes understanding to build a house, to establish a home, and we get that from God. How, how, How do we handle it? We need wisdom. James says if anybody needs, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God who gives it generously. So when you don't understand your spouse, don't just get mad at him or her. Ask God to help you understand because God is the one who gives us power to fathom our spouse's differences. Secondly, I need power to fulfill my spouse's needs. I need power to fulfill my spouse's needs. God designed marriage. God designed love. God designed sex. It, it was, it's all his idea. And the purpose is to mutually benefit each other. We all have basic needs. Men have basic needs. Women have basic needs. And God intends, if you're married, he intends you to meet your partner's basic needs in marriage. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7.3, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. Now here, Paul is talking about the need for physical intimacy. And don't get nervous. We're not going to get you know, too deeply into this. All right. But he's, he's talking about the need for physical intimacy. Now, men, you need to understand that women want their husbands to fulfill their needs without them having to tell the husband what those needs are, without having to draw you know, diagram, draw a picture. But the fact is, ladies, that sometimes we're not as smart as you think we are. So we have to communicate. And, and men sometimes tend to be selfish. I know it's a big shock to you, but uh, that's, that's true. So Philippians 2.4 says, Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now Paul isn't talking specifically about marriage, but it certainly applies to marriage. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. We are made to meet each other's needs in marriage, not just to expect our needs to be met. But have you noticed how the focus shifts after we get married? Before marriage, the focus is, what can I do to please you? Right? It's called dating. <laughs> what can I do to please you? After you get married, it's, you know what, just get it yourself. I'm tired. Had a long day. What happened? There was a shift in focus. Have you ever heard the seven stages of a married cold? I've shared this with you before, but it's been years. The seven stages of a marriage cold. Here they are. The first year of marriage, the, hu- the husband says, Honey, I'm worried about, I'm worried about you. You have a, a bad sniffle. I'm going to put you in the hospital for a complete checkup. I know the food is terrible there, so I'll, I'll arrange for meals to be brought into you. The second year. Listen, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called the doctor and he said, I, I can take you in this afternoon. So just rest in bed until it's time to go. The third year. Maybe you should lie down, baby girl. Um, I'll make supper tonight. Do we have any cans of soup around here that we can eat? The fourth year. Look, dear, just be sensible. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes, you should just go right to bed. The fifth year. Why don't you just take a couple of aspirin? The sixth year. Please, gargle or something instead of sitting there barking like a seal. 
I think I'll just sleep on the couch tonight. The seventh year. Would you stop sneezing? What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? You better sleep on the couch tonight. Yeah, things change. The focus changes. And so you might ask, well, where am I supposed to find the energy and the the power to meet the needs of my spouse when I'm worn out, when I'm tired too? Well, Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. It's God who not only gives you the power to act, but He works in you to give you the will. Now, the reality is that sometimes I do things for my wife that I don't feel like doing, and that's okay. You can do things that you don't feel like doing because eventually, you know, the, the, the emotion will catch up to it. But Paul says God will give you the will, and God will give you the, 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 not just the will, but the power to act in order to fulfill His good purpose, His purpose in your marriage. So whatever God asks you to do, whatever He expects you to do, He always empowers you to do it. If he says, meet the needs of your spouse, he'll give you the power. That's why you need God. That's why we need God in our marriages. It takes three to make a marriage work. It takes a husband, a wife, and God. That's why in a marriage ceremony, the vows are spoken to each other before God, to each other and to God. We need husband, wife, and God. It's like a three-legged stool. If you take God out of the picture, you've got a two-legged stool and it's just not going to work. It's going to fall over. So God says He wants to help you. He wants to empower you to meet the needs of your spouse. And that's important because, let's face it, human love wears out. There are times that I, I, I feel dry. There are times that I feel my love is running out. There are times that I don't love my wife as I should. There are times that I feel like I have nothing to give her anymore. But it's at that time that I can call on God, I can ask God for strength, and He gives me power, power that doesn't run dry, love that doesn't run out. So He gives you the power to meet the needs of your spouse when you don't have the energy to do it yourself. So I need power to fathom my spouse's differences. I need power to fulfill my spouse's needs. And finally, I need God's power to forgive my spouse's mistakes. Power to fathom differences. Power to fulfill needs. And power to forgive mistakes. Because marriage is two imperfect people coming together. And when two imperfect people come together in a marriage, they hurt each other. Even when they love each other, they hurt each other. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, but it happens. So when your spouse makes a mistake, you've got two options. You can rub it in, or you can rub it out by forgiving. You can rub it in and nag him or nag her, or you can rub it out by forgiving. We need forgiveness. That is a quality. That is something that we need in every marriage. We need forgiveness. Because unforgiveness kills a marriage. Unforgiveness will kill your marriage. 
That's why Proverbs 21, 29 says, It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. And the picture of, uh, of this is a wife who's complaining, who's quarreling, who's unforgiving in essence. So the Bible says, look, with all the dangers of being out in the desert, exposure to the cold, animals that could attack you, that's better than to be with a spouse who won't forgive, who's always quarreling, who's always nagging, who's always rubbing in and reminding, rubbing it in and reminding you of the mistakes that you made. Because you can bury your marriage with a lot of little digs. Little dig here, little dig there, and you bury your marriage. You undermine it. So here's what we can do. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So don't hold on to your hurts. I know, I know it's hard, but don't hold on to your hurts. You may have a partner who has made a major mistake. A major mistake. Maybe it was months ago or years ago. Maybe it's not anybody here. Maybe it's somebody who's listening on the internet or uh, somebody who's listening on a podcast this morning. And maybe your partner made a serious mistake. And you've never left them or you've never let them off the hook. You're killing your marriage. You're doing it. You've become an unpleasable spouse. No matter what they do for you, no matter how many times they ask for forgiveness, how good, how kind, how romantic they want to be, in the back of your mind, you have this scale that says, yeah, he's been good now, but he did this years ago. And it hasn't balanced out. No matter what they do, what good they do for you, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, they owe it to me. Let me tell you that keeping score will kill your marriage. When you keep score like that, it'll kill your marriage. That's as clear as I can say it. You need to let go of that hurt for your marriage's sake. But how do you do that? I, I know it's hard. I'm, I'm not insensitive to the fact that it's, it's difficult. But how do we deal with the hurt? Ephesians 4.32, we just read this. The last part of this, these two verses we just read. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other. And here it is, just as in Christ, God forgave you. If you want to learn how to be forgiving, remember how much you've been forgiven. If you want to learn how to be forgiving, remember how much you've been forgiven. Whenever I need to be forgiving to others, I just need to remember how much God has forgiven me. Because nobody will hurt me more than I've hurt God. Nobody will disappoint me more than I've disappointed God. And yet, He has forgiven me. So maybe the problem of why you're having a hard time uh, forgiving others is because you don't really feel forgiven. Maybe that's a real issue in your marriage. Maybe you need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to take care of all our sins so we could be forgiven. When I really feel forgiven by God, not because I, I think I deserve it, but because of God's grace, because He loves me, then I'm willing to be a little bit more forgiving to others, more forgiving to my spouse, because of what God has done for me. 
I want to offer forgiveness because I have been forgiven. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe you need to accept Christ's forgiveness in your heart and your life. And so that's the issue that a lot of people face. Before they feel like they need to understand, they need to fathom their spouse's differences. Before they feel like they need to fulfill their spouse's needs, they need to forgive their spouse's mistakes first. That's a big barrier. So work on your marriage. Don't give up. Don't go looking somewhere else. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is simply greener where you water it the most. And when you work on your marriage, we, we've got to do this. When you, when you maintain your marriage, then the grass will grow greener. Like I said, it's so easy to, to, to just coast. Not to ever say, you know what, let's talk about our marriage. Not to ever work on, on your marriage. To so just kind of coast. But that's, uh, that's a big mistake. How much effort are you putting into your marriage? You need to say, God, whatever it takes, I'm committed to make this work. And I'm committed to a happy, joyful, exciting adventure of a marriage. Many years ago, many years ago, Harvard University did a survey on marriage. In fact, their survey was on marriage and divorce. They came out on a publication called uh, Marriage and Divorce Publication. And so they did this survey, and they discovered that in our country, the divorce rate, and this has been a few years now, the divorce rate uh, was one out of every three new marriages. One out of every three new marriages. But their survey also found that when the couple was married in a church ceremony, in a church ceremony, presumably that meant that they're going to get some kind of counseling, understand the whole context of, of marriage according to the scripture. When they're married in a church ceremony, that divorce rate would drop from one in every three to one in every 50. It's pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good improvement. But when a couple was married in a church and they attended church regularly, they prayed together, they read the Bible together, the divorce rate went from one in every three to one in every 50 to one in every 1,105 marriages. So it was good when they get married in the church, but when they get married in the church and they're involved and they're growing, then it just, you know, the, the divorce rate just dropped. That's the difference that God makes. That's the difference that He makes. So how satisfying is your marriage today? You probably fall in one of four categories. You might say, well, our marriage is fantastic, it's great, and we are going to work to keep it that way. That's great. You're, you're rare, but that's great. Or you might say, our marriage is good, it's stable, but there's just no spark to it. We're kind of in a rut. Or you might say, well, our marriage is hurting. There are some issues that we need to face, we need to resolve, and we should face them right now. Or you might say, our marriage is, is just barely hanging on. It may not last a couple of months. We need a miracle from God. And if we don't get a miracle from God, I don't know that we'll stay together. Well, it doesn't matter where you are. I want you to know that God wants to give you His power to have a great marriage. Today, I want us to, to pray for our homes and pray for our marriages. I want us to call on God. 
And I want to say, Lord, I, I just need your power to help me to fathom, to understand deeply, not just superficially, but deeply, my husband or my wife. I need your power to, to help me fulfill my spouse's needs when I am so drained myself. When I tend to be self-centered, I need your power to help me think of him or think of her first. And God, I, I need your power. I really need your power to help me forgive because I'm having a hard time forgiving. But I know this is killing our marriage. I need to be able to forgive. God will, will do that. God will bless you. God will give you the strength. God will give you the same power he used to raise Jesus from the dead in your marriage. And that's good because some marriages need resurrecting. And God wants to do that today.